This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. One of the most talked about films of, in 2017 was the movie Hidden Figures. It's a true story about the critical contributions African-American women made to America's space program during the height of the space race with the Soviet Union in the 1960s. Today, we will talk with Dr. Christine Darden, who was a member of that remarkable team of women who helped our nation emerge as a leader in space exploration. You won't want to miss this conversation, so join us. We'll be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And as usual, we're so happy that you all are joining us in the audience. So glad to be here in the studio with my brother and my co-host, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, it's nice to not be flying alone. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to be here too, brother. How are you? It is. I'm doing pretty well. Um, Looking forward to this conversation. I think it is a great honor to have Dr. Christine Darden here with us. uh, One of those remarkable women. You and I, you know, you love movies. We've talked about movies a lot. Hidden Figures. Brother, did you have a chance to see this film? I did. It's a remarkable film, I think, that highlights um, a lesser-known aspect of of the country's history and a lesser-known contribution made by just a remarkable group um, of of African-American scientists and mathematicians. It gives us a real chance to see some of the challenges that we've had in our country with the issues of race and the issues of gender. I mean, challenges that still are with us today i would uh, i would think it is fair to say but this movie i think gives us a glimpse of what that really looked like and i think also what the film highlights is that uh that really the, the 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 american scientific establishment uh really especially during the the 40s 50s 60s and beyond uh throughout the cold war was one of the major epicenters of sort of white supremacy and white patriarchy in this country right. so for so for these women to be able to navigate those spaces and make such a contribution is just is just phenomenal. Right, and 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 to keep you know themselves together going through the pressures. You and I've talked about this and thinking about our nation's founding, the ideals that founded our nation. I couldn't help but think about the Enlightenment. You know, mm-hmm. and the ideals that emerge out of the the Enlightenment, which are really the driving force behind the founding and colonization of America in many ways. I mean, there are other issues that are involved. Well, we get into those complexities. Don't have time to do that here. But it's interesting to think, Marcus, that, you know, from the time of the Enlightenment, you know, we, if we want to go back to the period of uh, Columbus's, uh, you know, discovery of the new world, so to speak, and say, well, the Enlightenment ideas go back even further than that. But to think that even in 2017, from this period of time, that we still could talk about having challenges with issues of race and gender, despite the issues and the ideals that emerge from the Enlightenment. Yeah, and I think what's what's so ironic to me um, about the film and about um, uh, trailblazers like Dr. Dart. Uh, is that um, you know enlightenment thinking uh, you know was was vehemently um, committed to the idea that precisely the, the 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 type of thinking displayed in the film and practiced by Dr. Darden um, shouldn't exist right. in people of color, right. especially 
in African-American women. <laughs> so so in some ways, the example of Dr. Darden and the, and the example of, uh, of Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson, and Catherine uh, Goble Johnson really kind of give the lie to a major component of enlightenment ideology vis-a-vis race and gender. They do. I thought, yeah. Marcus, as I was thinking about Dr. Darden and her generation and the members of that team at NASA, I couldn't help but think about Sojourner Truth, um, who I think, what is it, 1851, when she gives this, this speech in, um, I don't know where she gave the speech, but it was entitled Ain't I a Woman, talking about the rights of of, of women, not just African-American women's women, but m- women in general. And it's an important speech. If you've never if you've never had a chance to read that speech, I mean, it's a remarkable speech to read. Um, also, she gave a speech later on uh, where she uh, made a real strong advocate. She was a strong advocate. This is 18, what, 1867 after the Civil War is over, where she is calling not only for at this time, she's talking about suffrage rights uh, for for women in the United mm-hmm. States. And I think about the fact that here we have an African-American woman who was born into slavery and is fighting for the same issues that we see emerge in this movement, hidden figures. Yeah, yeah. And and, and she and, and, and able to do this in a way that involved reason, right? Reason being one of the skills that uh, going back even before the Enlightenment, that um, especially in Victorian Europe and earlier, uh, a skill that women were believed to be incapable right. of, right? right? These were creatures of emotion, not reason. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, uh, figures like truth and others that give the lie to that, to that, uh, to that well. th- thought as well. They do. So we have Dr. Christine Darden here in the studio with us today, and we're going to have a conversation with her. And Marcus and I would like for you all to stay here with us, and we'll be back in a moment for that conversation. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show here at BPR in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Marcus and I are again having a wonderful conversation looking at the contributions of African-American women, especially to the space program. We are delighted and absolutely honored to have as our guest today, Dr. Christine Darden, who was a member of that team of women that you see displayed are talked about, played, portrayed in the movie Hidden Figures. Um, She is someone who is not unfamiliar with Asheville, North Carolina. She'll talk to us a little bit about that. She's She's a North Carolina. Carolina native as well. Um, I've had many good conversations with her on the phone, and I know that you all are going to be delighted to hear this conversation with Dr. Darden. Dr. Darden Marcus, and I want to take the moment to just welcome you here to back to Asheville and to the studio. Thank you. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We've had a number of conversations. Dr. Darden says she's going to try to keep me away from history. (laughs) As a mathematician, you know, her field is is a field that um, I find frightening. Um, I am impressed with anyone who can jump into understanding numbers. It was not my forte. Uh, Mine either. (laughs) But it is wonderful to have you here in the studio. So welcome back to Asheville. I mean, we just want to begin, you know, uh, simply with the question. um, You're no stranger to Asheville, as we just talked about. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to Asheville, North Carolina? Well, in 1956, my parents sent me to Allen High School in Asheville, North Carolina. And um, though I resisted, 
at first. I think it ended up being one of the best things that might have ever happened to me right. in my life. Wow. So can you tell us where you were from originally here in North Carolina? My home is Monroe, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, just by Charlotte, right. North Carolina, yes. So it had to be strange coming up here to these mountains. Had you been here before uh, coming to Allen? And what year are we talking about here? I came, you came? in 56. 1956. Yes. I had been through here, I believe, uh, but not here to visit, yes. All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the particulars of your time at Allen High School, because those are some interesting conversations that you and I have had. So we'll come back to that. And I'm curious to hear, Dr. Darden, what what prompted your your parents to insist on sending you to Allen High School, especially in the late 1950s? Well, I'm the youngest of five children, but I was alone with my parents from eight years on because all of my older sisters and brothers had gone away to college, were graduating from college and everything like that. And uh, my mother taught out in the county. My father was an insurance salesman, and he typically didn't go to work until uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon to catch people at home to collect premiums and things like that. My school was right across the street, which meant I could get home uh, quite a bit of time before either one of them got home. And they did not like me being at home alone. Uh, so that was that was part of the reason, I think. The other part of the reason was I was two years younger than all of my classmates. Hmm. And so there were there were some tensions on my wanting to go to dances and do things with some of the other students in my class that my parents felt I was not old enough to do. Mm. And so there were some tensions there. And I, I think it was primarily those two things that thought maybe that if I could go someplace where everybody had the same rules and mm. things, that, that right. it would be better for all of us. Mm. So it seems to me it's really clear that Alan had a strong reputation. Um, then had you heard of Alan before, prior to them beginning to talk about sending you? No, I had not heard of it, and I'm not quite sure how my mother heard of it. <laughs> it's interesting. At Allen, Allen High School, um, I mean, it emerged as the African-American women's uh, high school here, although I have recently discovered from conversations with other students who went to Allen High School that at one point there were uh, some males who went to school there as well, Mm -hmm. um, which I didn't know about. This was, I think, during a period of uh, integration when um, a number of uh, African-American men went to school at Allen. But I know the school has its roots back in the late 19th century, because I write about it under another name in my own dissertation. I know it was founded originally as, I think, a Methodist school by by uh, the Pises, who were um, who had retired to Asheville, and Pees and L. W. Pees, who had retired to Asheville from New York. Do you know any of that? I, I don't know that history, but it was still a Methodist school when right. I was there. That's right, and then it became, you know, it was original. It was you know, Allen like, Home at first. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Now, Dr. Darden, you, you have expertise in, t- in two disciplines that, um, as Dr. Uh, Waters alluded to earlier, <clears throat> for me, have been quite intimidating, <laughs> um, uh, mathematics and science. Could you speak a little bit about what attracted you initially to both of these fields? I um, I originally thought that I liked biological science. I oh. I will say that I had two older brothers who had both gone into medicine and everything, mm. and so I was leaning in that direction. But I loved to help my dad with working on the car and changing tires. 
making my brakes on my bicycle out of coat hangers, things like that. So um, I began to realize that I really liked the physical sciences better than I did the mathematical, the, the uh, biological sciences. And um, so by the time I left going to college, I had pretty much decided that I wanted to go into the mathematics and the physical sciences rather than biological sciences. Uh, and I, I, did a well, I did okay in the classes. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is so interesting because I used to have a, <laughs> in high school, I thought that I wanted to be a microbiologist. <laughs> um, but I landed in college and took a, 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 a real course for biology majors and discovered that, ah, you know, maybe you're uh, best housed in another discipline. So mm -hmm. I ended up studying literature, but um, I too shared an early interest mm -hmm. in, in, in science. So I can assure you that I never had an interest. <laughs> <laughs> I made it through these, in, in, in which I marvel at with my own children, especially my younger son, Lewis, who has a big interest in science. I mean, and so um, I don't know where that comes from. You know, it did not come from me. I think it may have come from his grandfather, uh, uh, Edgar Waters, who is someone who was really, really good with numbers and math as well, because he had been a computer technician. Um, in the earlier part of his career, but I think that maybe my own son has picked it up, you know, from, you know, it went down a generation or two, it kind of skipped me, but um, I'm, I am always impressed with people who go into those particular fields, um, so this is wonderful. I would like to ask you one question about Alan, and, and thinking about Alan, because it has such a rich history here, I mean, it has a very active alumni as well who are really engaged uh, with that with that high school um which no longer exists now uh, but the the it has such a rich history did did your time at allen how did it impact your worldview is that a did it did it help to facilitate and stimulate uh, your further interest in the sciences I believe it did science and math I think two things happened at allen to influence that my senior year, my job was to get the newspaper and put in the library. Mm -hmm. And on October the 5th, 1957, I picked up the newspaper that had the headline that the Soviets have launched oh. Sputnik. And it has circled, orbited the Earth over four times over the last 24 hours. So that made a big impression on us. And uh, I had never really been away from home before. And so I... I grew in that direction that I was I was broadened and I was not okay. homesick when I went to college. Oh, okay. So it helped kind of get yes. you ready for yes. that. All right. So, yeah, and, and this is interesting. So so Dr. so what I hear you saying is that even even as a high schooler there was an awareness of the political sort of struggle between the United States and the Soviet Union vis-a-vis -vis the space race. Oh. So high schoolers. Even, I went or, through hiding under my desk earlier than that. We went through we went through drills in school because we were afraid a bomb was going to be dropped on us. Wow. The Cold War the Cold was an interesting wow. time. I mean, it <laughs> to really say was. the least. It, yes. And it's interesting to think about uh, that generation that was coming through that and mm -hmm. how they think about it. I mean, we we. This is where history becomes important, I think, because uh, we have a tendency, because we're beyond this period now, to not mm -hmm. think about, you know, th the mindset uh, that that partic particular period of time really created. So this is interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Interesting. So, Dr. Darn, could you talk a little bit about um, how you ended up at NASA? I mean, this is one of the preeminent inst- uh, uh, institutions in the country. And I'm going to tell you, Marcus, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to insert myself <laughs> in before you go there. Yeah. Because, see, I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting here in a studio with two with two people who went to historically black colleges and universities. And so you, Morehouse, and I know Dr. Darden went to Hampton. And thinking about even the tradition of historically black mm-hmm. colleges and universities, I really wanted to hear about your experiences at Hampton as well, because you went on to Hampton University. How was it at Hampton? Well, Hampton was great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... Um, I wanted to go in a direction where none of my sisters and brothers had been. So I had this independent streak. I did not want to follow them into college. And I had a friend whose sister went to Hampton. I knew nothing about Hampton. Uh, And I went in that direction. And I went there wanting to major in mathematics because of Allen and my geometry teacher at Allen, who I fell in love with the class Mm -hmm. there. Uh, And... um, I didn't have much math because geometry was the highest level of mathematics I had in high school. But uh, nevertheless, I said I wanted to major in math. But my father says, this is 1958. Uh, there aren't that many jobs for an African-American female in 1958. So I want you to get a teacher certificate so you can get a job when you graduate. All right, all right. And obeying my father, I says, well, I've got to do this. But... Um, I had also thought of being this mathematician, and that's when I made a decision that I would take all the education and math required for my teacher certificate, but I would use all of my electives to take the higher math classes that weren't required for me. And so my senior year, I took eight higher-level classes uh, that were not required for me to graduate. Mm -hmm. And um, that was sort of this push that I still had this mathematician in my mind. Right. Wow. So going back to the NASA question, Dr. Darden, could you talk a bit about the path that led from Hampton Institute at this point? It was Mm -hmm. Hampton Institute to NASA, working working on major high-speed projects, et cetera. Okay, well, that that was sort of the beginning of that path. Okay. So uh, I graduated, and I taught for two years, and I continued to take extra math classes okay. uh, at Virginia State at this time. Okay. And um, when I graduated from Virginia State, uh, I went by the placement office, and I asking the lady if she knew of any jobs that were available. She says, where have you been? NASA was here recruiting yesterday. And I said, oh, I knew nothing about that. Uh, she says, will you fill out this application and bring it back hmm. to me, and I'll send it in. So she did, and I had had an offer in about three weeks. And so I was hired at NASA because I had I, – I guess I skipped the part where t- taking the extra classes had led to my getting a fellowship uh, – research assistantship at Virginia State College under the physics, head of the physics department. And so those two years I spent there working on this research assistantship in aerosol physics, I got a master's degree in applied mathematics. And uh, so all of those things together, I think, made my credentials look more attractive to NASA. Mm -hmm. And I was hired by NASA in 1967. Uh, that would have been two years before we walked on the moon. Right. Now, your your parents, 
Were your parents still living when you went to work at NASA? Yes, um, they, were. they were. And how did they respond? How? What was your father's response to this opportunity opening up? Uh, I think he was very happy for me. He wasn't. He. I don't. I don't think he had anything against the mathematics. I think his was this assurance of getting a job. A job. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, since I had a job, he he thought that was great. And I. Uh, a year or so later, I had a child after when I was at NASA, and I was thinking about quitting, mm-hmm. uh, kind of worried about going back to work and having to find somebody to f- take care of the child. My mother said to me, that's a very good job you have there, and I think you need to hold on to it. Now, how long did you stay at NASA? Forty years. Forty years. Forty years. That's a long time. I, now, I'm thinking about... You know, so many were coming out of the 1940s, 1950s, and there are not a lot of opportunities. Many pathways for African Americans are kind of limited at the time. So I could understand exactly where your your father was coming from and talking about the opportunities that that existed in Mm -hmm. education, you know, at the secondary level, high school level, on into higher education. But thinking about the opportunities that opportunities would exist at places like NASA, I'm sure – he didn't know about that. Yeah, that <laughs> he didn't know were. about the hidden figures in NASA. <laughs> right. Now, this makes me wonder about again um, the importance of the civil rights movement. I mean, the, the civil rights movement is occurring at this time. Mm-hmm. So you know we're cu- we're at the height of the movement. You know, the 1960s. So it seems like it's having a major impact on opening up new avenues of opportunity for African Americans. Uh, I believe it did, but the. It was A. Philip Randolph, I think, who went to President uh, Roosevelt and asked him to to uh, issue an executive order that any defense industry mm-hmm. could not be discriminatory in who was hired for jobs. Right. And that's when the first black females were brought into, into NASA. NASA. They brought the white females in in 1935 and the blacks in 1943. Right. Oh, and wow. so the ladies in the movie all were hired into that segregated group, uh, 43, 53, 51. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was quite a bit behind them. And I was not in a segregated pool like they were because it was now NASA. Because when Sputnik went up, NACA, which is what it had been called before, became NASA, NASA. And it was not – it did not have segregated pools in there. Okay. Okay. So so that was a slightly difference in in the experiences we had. And I went into a reentry physics branch, which calculates the – angles and the speed and the temperatures of vehicles coming back into the atmosphere mm. to see if they can handle it, see that they won't bounce back into space. But uh, so, but that had already been calculated for the Apollo program by the time I got there. Oh, wow. Wow. This is, this is all so interesting. And, and I'm watching time move very, very quickly here. <laughs> so I want to ask you a question, and Marcus, as well. You have talked about um, – your work at NASA and working on developing a higher order sonic boom predictor. Um, very complicated term. When when I heard you talk about this, I was thinking, I can't begin to even wrap my mind around what this is. But you've explained it in ways that I think that I understand. Can you tell us a little bit about what this was about? Okay. Uh, supersonic flight has been prohibited 
in the United States because of the sonic boom. That was done in the early 70s, just about the time I went into an engineering program at NASA. And uh, people still wanted to go fast. They still want to, you know, get places faster and everything. Uh, But with this law and everything, NASA said we need to see if we can reduce that sonic boom. And so one of my first projects Mm -hmm. was to see if we can design the airplane that would make the sonic boom of a supersonic airplane softer. Okay. And and so I worked on that for many, many years and, um, you know, did wind tone tests, did flight tests and everything. And one of the things I've been so excited about is that NASA is supposed to be building a supersonic low boom X-plane in 2018. Wow. And, uh, and so, so I'm work. pretty excited about that, that they will build this plane and test it and hopefully change that rule about supersonic flight. Wow. It, this, you know, and Marcus, I want to turn it over to you here, but this is making me want to ask questions about, like, the Concorde, you know, as, a, <laughs> as an aircraft, I mean, which went away. But I was mm-hmm. always put so interested in, in the Concorde and and everything surrounding just the engineering uh, with the Concorde. Yeah. yeah, and it went away. They only built 14 of them. Nobody bought any of them because they didn't have anywhere to fly except right. over the water. Right. When I called them once to ask for how much the ticket was between New York and Paris or something, it was like $6,000. Oh, and this grief. was back in the 70s. Yeah, this is fascinating. Uh, can I ask a, one quick follow-up question? What was the concern about the sonic boom, like the the, the loudness of it? Was it because what, what was what was their concern about it causing um, you know ear ear problems with those who well it was it breaking glasses, breaking sheetrock and houses oh, and things okay. like that, mm-hmm. uh, and annoyance. Would if you were in a job okay. where the startle of the annoyance could be a factor, mm-hmm. it would have been that also. Okay, okay, okay. So uh, w- one thing that we have to touch on before wow. we leave this conversation is the movie Hidden Figures. Um, what did you? think of the movie and, and your your name emerges in the book quite a bit i looked and was looking at the book and looking at the index and you're you're mentioned in the book quite often what did you think of the movie the movie was great uh i watched the movie the first time just as a movie without knowing the ladies or anything and i thought it was a great movie right. and i really enjoyed it and i've only seen it 11 times okay <laughs> <laughs> So we're encouraging those of you who have not seen Go the see movie it. Hidden Figures, you have to see this movie. It, it is truly, truly a remarkable yeah. and, story. And it's really interesting to hear, Dr. Darden, that your experience with NASA was not segregated, whereas the experience of the, uh, the, the woman in the film pretty much was. That is true. Uh, yeah. That is true. And it is amazing to think about the, this history, you know, mm-hmm. and the history that we, we do need to confront, but to see how, you know, so much talent has the potential to be wasted because of issues that we've had with race and gender. And I hope that we're getting to a place in the country where we're dealing with that a little bit better. Well, we've just got a couple of minutes left here, but Dr. Darden, before we do go out of this, I want you, if you can, quickly tell us about, because you've talked to me about this, of having a career formula. And I think that our audience... Yes, I think that that that. formula pushed me to take all of those classes. And I started out with P to the fourth power, Mm -hmm. that if you you know a job that you really think you're going to want to do, perceive of yourself in that job. Perceive of yourself as a mathematician or as a literature professor. Uh, But then 
plan what you have to do to get to a job mm-hmm. like that. And I knew that I would, it, especially with no math, not a lot of math in high school, right. that I would have to take a lot of mathematics because I would have to build my mathematics background and right. my physics background. And um, the third is prepare. Work your plan. Mm-hmm. The fourth is persist because you'll run into detours and mm-hmm. and. and and problems and everything. And I'm thinking now that I ought to add a P5 because I think at the beginning of that, maybe you ought to make sure that the job you think you want is a job that's not going to be displaced by technology right. these days or something mm-hmm. like that, that it would be a job maybe you would make enough money you could live on. Right. And I think our young people today need, need to, to think that. about that. Well, a great message, a great conversation. We, are, we applaud you for a remarkable career. And thank you for joining us. And Marcus and I will be right back in just a moment. Again, you've been listening to Waters and Harvey Show with Dr. Christine Darden. This has been a great conversation, Marcus. We have uh, I've really learned a lot. I had to, and I mean, just to just to think about the um, wide ranging contributions that our people have made to this country is just really really inspiring. Okay, so again, Marcus, you always uh, close out these conversations very well. <laughs> we thank you all for joining us, and Marcus and I want to remind you all again that the Waters and Harvey Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina, and you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will look forward to talking with you all again next time. Thank you. Take care.